0: kiss me fat boy 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 kiss boy warning the following podcast contains explicit language and themes it may not be suitable for more sensitive and younger listeners so please pursue a caution also there may be elements and themes in this podcast that are triggering for some individuals, um, especially in this one, there's death and murder, of course. But also, just um, be careful and cautious. I'll try to do trigger warnings if there's something specific. Otherwise, um, you know, just uh, skip this one if you think you might not like it. Also, um, this is a fan book club podcast. This is not affiliated with Stephen King or any. Of the entities that releases works on various platforms. Also, um, this is full of spoilers, so please watch this movie, this specific movie, before you uh, come and do this. Um, otherwise, you've been warned. It's going to be spoiled. Um, there's also cross references as well, and uh, the opinions expressed on this and views expressed of on this only belong to those that say it, and not those of any platform sponsors or other entities or people and that is it hey guys it's Serena I'm here today it is the day after Christmas and I feel like crap and I was supposed to release my Christmas episode and that's I'm late I'm having a hard time um physically somebody hit me in a car wreck and it's really messed my neck up and I have to go to treatment for it and it's just been I've never understood like constant pain Uh, like this until recently so um so i feel for those who are suffering with chronic pain and i understand how hard it is because um of the opioid epidemic mess medicine is not available to those who need it just to like function and like get out of bed and i understand that some people have a genetic predisposition towards Um, addiction, and I feel for them, and I feel, you know, as much as I feel for those who are in pain, but I'm just saying, like, it's made it hard for people, and I'm not trying to get pain medicine or anything, but I'm just saying, like, I, being in pain, and get, I do have medicine, it's not pain pills, but, um, I do take like, like, over-the-counter Tylenol and stuff, and it doesn't help, so it's just, it's just hard, so I can't imagine having to be, like, debilitated in pain, I guess is where I'm going, because, like, once you start with the pain cycle, it just takes your whole day down. You can't think or do anything. So I do really feel for you guys. And um, my heart goes out to you. And also those who are suffering from the holiday blues, um, whatever the reason, be it things didn't work your way, work out. It's the end of the year, start reflecting or a lonely Christmas or death of a family member, whatever's going on, you know, I uh, my heart goes out to you. My thoughts go out to you. And uh, let's take mental health serious. I think there's some mental health issues that's going to be in this podcast today in this work. And I think we should take those serious if you're having a problem. um, Go get some help. It's okay to get help. Uh, I use this podcast as a way to deal with my anxiety. I have really bad, um, just anxiety. And I just try to use this to help focus myself in. I'm sneaking a podcast in. We're all home, and I hope you don't hear the background noise. But I cannot. I've got the noise gate up, but sometimes it just happens. So today we're doing Rose Red. Now Rose Red is on Hulu, and I remember watching this as a kid, and I absolutely hated it. And I remember watching The Stand. I liked it. I did. I liked Sleepwalkers. Um, it was. <clears throat> excuse me. It was good. It was a little scary in parts, you know. But anyway, I remember this coming out. Let's see what year did it come out. I remember it coming out. I wasn't super young, but I just remember thinking it was over the top, you know. Let's see, 2002? Was it really that late? I thought it was when I was way younger. Well, anyway, also that hospital one he does, I need to go into that. That one was creepy, too. What was it, like Kingdom Hospital or something? Anyway, I know that he made this. I think it's still on Hulu, but I watched on Hulu um, when it came out in October. They released it. I was so excited. Um, what they did was Stephen King. He um, he wrote this directly into a miniseries. He did not write. He did not write um, a book and then turn it. Into, then adapt it. It is literally just a miniseries from a screenplay and. I kind of read or heard something he had said about it, that he enjoyed doing it. Um, it was on something else. that He always talks about when I did this on a different project. So you'll get little tidbits, especially if you listen to his audiobooks. He likes to do interviews because he's extremely pro-audiobook. He's so audiobooked that I feel like you almost need to audiobook Stephen King to get the full experience. And he was talking in one of his things about unabridged. And abridged books, and how audiobooks were always abridged back in the day. So he used to get his kids to read. I'm sure you guys all heard that if you are Stephen King uh, fan or whatever. And his kids would like read to him, and he'd pay him like ten or twenty bucks a book, you know. And of course, they, they're like little kids, and he'd have them read these crazy. It's like a really good way, you know, to get kids to read too. It's a very smart thing to do as a parent. Um, he has three kids, so he would get all the kids to read stuff. I think one kid, I think it might have been Joe or Jonah, whatever. I think that um, J- Joe or Jonah Hill or whatever, I think he's the one that read the most for him, and he really excelled at it, but I'm not 100% sure. If, I know one of the kids did it more than the others, and I, and I know it was a boy. I think the daughter only did a couple of She probably wasn't into it. <clears throat> anyway. Okay, so Rose Red came out in 2002, which I watched it. I remember watching it, but I was a senior in college, and I was super... I was going through a weird era in my life, and I wasn't really watching a lot of TV or doing a lot of things, but I had watched this. Maybe I watched it later. I don't know if I watched it while I was, it was coming out. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Okay, so a little background information. Now, this is a miniseries, and they released it in 2002, and they um, it was straight to uh, the TV. There was no book on it, like I said. Um, It had a pretty good, decent cast. You know, by then, Stephen King was such a name. He could get people, you know, to do what they wanted. Now, this was originally released on January twenty 2002. Isn't that crazy that it's been that many years? (sighs) 21 years ago in January of this year, of next year. I'm still in 2023 when I'm recording this. ABC um, ended up doing it. He originally pitched the idea to Steven Spielberg in 1996. He wanted to make it um, kind of like The Haunting, which everybody's done, like Shirley Jackson. You know, there's been ha- all those wonderful Netflix. For- this is like Stephen King tried, and this was an okay for the time, but it's nothing like the ho- The Haunted House on Haunted Hill that came out a couple years ago on Netflix. That was just like next level amazing. I mean, that actually scared me. Even though some of the graphics were stupid, like the very tall guy who, if you hadn't seen it, you won't know what I'm talking about, but the guy with the hat, the big, the bowler hat, he um, was so small that he envisioned himself tall. So as a ghost, he walked around, he's like 20 feet tall, stupid, Gen- very stupid graphics, but it was creepy. The idea creeped me out even though, and I'm like, you know, that was a few years ago. I was like in my late <clears> thirties. Anyway, so um let's go so you know that was like the haunting that was actually the haunting with that chick um from all the 80s movies she was in it that was a stupid version of it but it was good at the time but reflection i'm like me my, my older sister still hates cherubs because of that movie do you remember the like golden cherubs going no nah! and they're like moving their heads around but she was looking at them. we're at christmas dinner yesterday at my mom's house at my mom and dad's house and my mom has like a thousand cherubs. You know, she's like a boomer, so she's like a thousand cherubs everywhere as decorations. And they have like a really fancy big house and um it's just full of like really ornate like really beautiful ornate things and still she's traumatized by these these angels because of that movie. Um <clears throat> So Shirley J. I I need to read the 1959 novel The Haunting of Hill House. Um So, you know, they went ahead in 1999 and released that kind of The Haunting. So they decided to um, kind of like toss his his idea and he redid it to make it more of like something else. And at that point, he kind of turned it into like that house, the crazy house of the lady who keeps building and building and building. Um, Was it like... The lady that um, inherited the gun, her husband was a gun, millionaire, billionaire from back in the Victorian times or whatever, whenever it was, or 1900s, early 1900s. She felt so guilty, like she felt all the souls of those who had been killed by guns. She felt that spiritual pushing down on her. So she was under the impression if she kept building this house and kept employing workers that it would give the spirits peace because that's what the spirits had told her. So I don't know if that was... I mean, I know people have spiritual things, you know, I'm not putting down, there's religions that, you know, that kind of stuff. I get it. I'm not saying she didn't have something, but it could have been mental illness or it could have been some kind of, I don't know what spiritual purpose would have served. So it sounds like she maybe had some mental illness. I'm not a doctor and I don't know for sure. But, you know, I feel like it was some kind of spiritual test or something. It would have had more of a, like make sense like give your money to charity you know what i'm saying like you want your karma to be re in, you know kind of evened out or whatever you believe in you don't want to repent for your bad deeds do you know some you know do some kind of like spiritual good doing not uh just build a house forever that doesn't even make any sense so that kind of does sound like mental illness okay so i was just looking at some information and it also talks about how it's kind of based on the um the Remington wait sorry not Remington Winchester Mystery House in San Jose, California. I need to go there. I was just in San Diego. I should have went to San Jose and see that house. I think I had gotten a book from one of my lift lift drivers about the, something to do with scariness, but in San, San Diego the scariness is not Ghosts. It's uh it's you're like right on the border, and you just get you get creeped out by just uh, the feeling of you know the fear of things like human trafficking and and stuff like that. I mean that's how you feel. It's got a kind of an air about it that close to the border. And of course they all laugh about it. Not like the human trafficking, but they all just laugh because you know people walk over the border, and they're just like, hey, what's up and everything, you know. Um, I'm not saying one thing or another. I was just, you know, that was just kind of some of the stories that people were telling us that lived there. It was like some guy jumped over the, the. Um, I think it was a company like right on the border, and some guy jumped the fence and was running, and they were having a company picking it, and the guy was like, here you go, would you like a hot dog? And the guy just looked at him like he was crazy and ran off. And they were just, you know, because what do you got to do, you know? I might have to take that out. It might be too controversial. But anyway, so... Rose Red. So the cast, the first, it starts out in the very beginning of the backstory of Annie. Um, That she's like the chick from those Halloween Town movies. She did a really good job, but I don't understand. Like, I understand what he's trying to do, and if you read all his works, you see that he is really delving into this idea of these special children, The Shining or whatever. Especially in 2002, he was kicking around things like the Talisman, and um, which was followed by uh, the Black House. So, yeah, he was working with these special children and this idea of these breakers, which is, you know, we talked about the breakers in the Halloween special, and, um, you know, kids that can help bring down the tower. But, of course, that's not going to be explained in the movie, but he was toying with those ideas. So there's um, the girl, she plays Annie, and... Um, she is autistic but she is also strongly psychic like she gets upset and she can like cause a house to rip, physically rip apart you know like what people think are earthquakes she can just like she calls stones to come I think this if we go with the um I don't know if it's more important than that kid from the black house uh, I forgot his name I just finished that book today I'm so tired but anyway Um the kid from the black house, you know, he was like a real special kid. He was supposed to break, he was supposed to be one of the greatest breaker that the crimson king needed to break out of his cage uh, to bring down the tower, the um, last beams of the last two or three beams of the tower, or whatever. So, yeah, so he that kid was obviously more, maybe more powerful, but this chick was like causing stones to fall out of like biblically stones to fall out of the sky which no one knows everybody's just kind of like oh my gosh i have no idea how these people who didn't know what really happened explained it away to themselves but she got upset because um some lady's dog was barking in the very beginning and she was like keep your dog away from my daughter my daughter was bitten by this dog and they were just fighting like her mom and dad were just upset they're like living in fear and then uh... Melanie Linsky, is that her name? The chick that was in uh, the Castle Rock show, and she's in everything. She's married to um, John Ritter's son. She's just a really cool chick. She um she was in that that um survival movie, and she was also in the with the soccer chicks, and then she was also what do they call the Hornets or the Bumblebees or something? And then um she was in, she's been in like everything. So anyway, she um she's the older sister so she's like the handler and uh anyway the parents are just like completely fed up with her and overwhelmed and terrified of her because if she gets mad she's like drawing with crayons as a kid she's like drawing with crayons she's like drawing like scribbling out that lady's house and dog and then the dog i think got killed or injured and um the lady's house got rocks just ran, ran ran down on the house and then like so she can make things happen okay so she's really—that's um, the beginning. Shows you the backstory, okay? Now this. Um, let me see if I can find the cast because Joyce Joyce Reardon is the doctor. She's a parasitologist, and she's been in everything. And I can't remember her name. Let's see. Um, I, you know, guys, if you even ever listen to me, you know I'm bad with names. It's one of my uh, personality flaws. In real life, I'm like, hey, how you doing there? Buddy, <laughs> all right. So Nancy Travis plays Dr. Joyce Reardon. Okay, now just look her up. She's been in everything. She's a real beautiful actress. Um, she was in Three Men and a ba- with a baby, and then The Little Lady, which yeah, let's not go into scary stuff with that ghost kid story thing, which still traumatizes me because you can see it. But she's been in tons of tons and tons, and her. But my favorite movie that she's been in is So I Married an Axe Murderer. You know, woman. Uh what did Mike Myers say in his little angry poetry session? But anyway, that was like one of my so that's like my favorite moment for her. But anyway, so that is um that's who she is. And then what says Julian Sands, which rest in peace, my friend. He um he plays uh what's his name? He's a, he's a psychic. So she has this group of psychics. It's kinda like vibes which was one of the best movies ever made which was actually a good movie and then they trunked that concept of a team of different types of psychics trying to find something but they kind of like turned it in. it's like that meets haunted hill house meets um the uh winchester lady story you know so let's see um of course matt keisler is steve rimbauer which is the descendant of that Rembauer family, which is the um, Winchester representation. Uh, Melanie Linsky is is Rachel, but she goes by Sister, which is Sissy. She goes by Sissy. And then Annie is her sister, you know. And then, um, let's see. So that is Kimberly J. Brown, Miss Halloween Town herself. And uh, let's see. Judith Ivy plays Kathy Kramer, and she's an automatic writer. And she's been in a bunch of stuff. I want to say, was she maybe in, um, was she in Designing Women? I I just wonder. She was in a lot of things. If you see her, she's kind of like your older, she was in the, she was in the Devil's Advocate, which was, used to be one of my favorite movies. I've grown up. But she was just like one of those, like, your kind of, your aunt is almost like really conservative and wears her you know, religious and conservative type that wears no makeup and wears her like collars all the way up to her neck and long sleeves and pearls and glasses. And she sews and does things. She is an automatic writer. And I love that's the kind of character she always plays is, is what I mean. She had that look. Um, Julian Sands, his, um, of course, you know, Kim Brown, who plays Annie, she's, She's just telekinetic. She's superly really powerful telekinetic, okay? And um, the other, so Matt Ross is Emory Waterman. He's a psychic with rec- retrocognition. In other words, he hears the past. Um, he used to work with uh, homicide detectives, which that would be such a good and bad gig. Like I could love to help people if I had that ability. But it would be torturous if that was like really a thing, you know, if you really could do that. Um Julian Sands plays Nick Hardaway and he is a telepathic psychologist, so he is just telepathic, like he can hear thoughts and pick up on things. He's one of the more powerful psychics in the group. Um Emily Deschanel plays Pam Asbury and she is a psychic television host with psychometric abilities. Let's just say what psych- psychometric means um oh she's the one that can touch things that's the one that it's a it's a greek term uh this it's like got greek in its terminology it means touching things okay psychometric okay uh so you know those kind of like you touch something and you know where it's been i think that would be a really rough torturous if you could if you had that gift you couldn't touch anything because everything's been touched by somebody like even the person who made it Like, what if your stuff's made in a sweatshop? I mean, every time you'd go anywhere, you'd be touching stuff and feeling the trauma of that person. Like, it just, that would be rough. Um, I don't know if anybody really has that gift. I never heard anybody actually who has that gift. Um, But, you know, we all know the psychics who can, like, read your cards. Mediums who can talk to the dead. Psychics who can tell you about yourself. Psychics who can um, do different things. Now Emily Deschanel, she was like she's the chick who plays Bones, um, in that show with the guy who was Angel, and you know Zoe Deschanel is her sister, and we all know who that is. Hopefully, if you don't, look her up. Um, Kevin, I don't know how to say his name. Is it Taiji or Taiji? He plays Vic. He's got he's the older guy. He plays he has the uh, pre. Cognition, in other words, he knows it before it's gonna happen. Okay, and the other guy, Emery, knows it after, like he can go into the past. Okay, I know this sounds like it's probably a lot. You've obviously, um, you've obviously watched this. Okay, and by the way, talking about Matt Ross who plays Emery, he did a really good job. He really stood out. Um, He is. His big thing was. Um, he played, he was in American Psycho as one of the guys, but I thought he was in, um, Big Love. Let's see if he's in Big Love from, or from having one of those moments, you know? Yeah, Big Love. Yeah, he was Albie. Why didn't they put that in his, that should be the one of the biggest thing He did so good as the bad guy. And so he's good at playing, Matt's good at playing these, um, villains but i think he's better at playing these anti-heroes where they're good and then they're bad like there's some redemption there i think that's a little bit better it's more interesting it's more layered than just a bad guy looking out for number one and he's got this real mean controlling mom who is of course she's gonna be fat and eats a lot and and has a shopping addiction a home shopping network addiction and gambling and stuff because that's how stephen king sees fat people is like we have no self-control like all we do is eat and gamble and do whatever we want you know what fat person hurt him is the question of the day but anyway the point is is that his mom has got them in deep debt and he's really talented and he has a high um fee that he's able to get but he sucks it up he doesn't want to. He can see because all the ghosts are coming to warn him. Like you know, they're just like coming around and be like, "Hey, what's up?" You know, I'm a corpse standing here in the kitchen, and he's like, "Hey, go bother somebody who's not broke." In other words, he's going to do the job. He's been warned a hundred times, and then his mom's like, "Hey, you know what's going to happen? Just, they're you know, just get out before the trouble. You know, and just get this get get that bag. You know. Anyway, so finally he comes to an agreeable term with uh. The um, Dr. Joyce Reardon. I guess I'm gonna call her Dr. Reardon. Uh, Anyway, Dr. Reardon is turns out to be a bad guy. Spoiler alert. She becomes obsessed with the house. So now she is like having this affair with um, Steve Rimbauer, who's like a lot younger. But she seduced him. She is obsessed with this house, and the house pulled her in. And we know like the things like the Overlook Inn. Um, the black house is not exactly a thing that pulls people in. But we know there are these um, places, um, room 1408, in um, one of his short novels or stories, there's these places that are psychic, and they need batteries. And those batteries are people who, are, who have the shining. So this house called all these people in, and it pulled them in based on um, this doctor was just used as the house. So that's the spoiler alert. Right there, okay? Now, um, David Dukes, he is the Dr. Miller, who's the psychology department head, and he is very much against uh, Dr. Reardon going to this, um, doing this thing. He's like, I don't know about your, they're fighting about tenure being reviewed, and he's just like trying to take her down because he doesn't think parapsychology. It's like Ghostbusters, okay? Okay. <laughs> It's like a little bit of everything. Parapsychology is not a rear field is what he's saying. And so we shouldn't be doing any college funding. Well, she got private funding. So she's like, well, poo-poo to you. And you can't stop anything. He's like, but are you using, you know, he got like a reporter who comes up and he gets killed. Um, he got a reporter to come in and uh, interview her during some some kind of thing. And he was taking secret pictures and all this stuff. I'm trying to think, where was, what is this guy's big? Well, Okay. This actor who played, this guy who was like his last, let's see, David Coleman Dukes played um, this professor. Rose Red was like his last movie. He died in on October 9, 2000. That's sad. I don't know what he died of, but let's see what it says. Um, he had a heart attack, and he was how old? Uh, rest in peace, guy, of course. Um, he was 55, so he had that... um. That was his last. try to think of what he, it says he was on. He did recurring roles on shows like um, Sisters, Polly and Dawson's Creek, which I know Dawson's Creek, obviously. Um, so yeah, he just he's a character actor, so you know those guys blend in all the time, but you've seen him in something. Um, let's see Laura Lenny is Patricia Waterman. She's the mother of Emery uh, Waterman, so we talked about her character. Uh, Jimmy Simpson is Kevin Bollinger. He's, that's the college newspaper reporter. And he's that guy with the little mole. He's been in a lot of stuff. But let me think. His biggest thing was Westworld, where he played the young version of um, what's-his-name's character. That was a really good... That was his probably his best role. Um, he doesn't do very well in this. He gets killed right away, and his ghost runs around wreaking havoc a little bit. Um, and then Richard Sanders is the elderly elderly neighbor of rachel and annie that's the one that in the very beginning they got hurt um based on all that fighting and then of course stephen king is the pizza delivery man um but anyway so that's basically it and then, of course there's a whole host of ghosts we got the um john Rimbauer, he's old tycoon that guy's he's played by an actor named john Pro, If so i'm gonna go with the italian prochaccino um, Julia Campbell plays the wife. She's the one that's so annoying. Um, she disappeared in Rose Red. Now, John um, Rimbauer, he was murdered by Ellen and Sukina. And Ellen is the wife. And that's chick the chick who played Ellen. She's the chick from Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. That's her best work. She was the main uh, chick that was going to end up being the uh, a weather announcer. Instead, she just got married to... Um, Was his name Billy or something? I don't know. I love that movie. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. That was her big moment, so she didn't do too much. I don't know what's going on with her. Um, Anyway, so, um, City Leiloka played Tsukina, and that was, uh, I think she was supposed to be somebody maybe from the islands, an islander, but I don't know if she was an islander or just of African Descent, but she had some kind of accent accent and she did some kind of some kind of magic to help the lady um with all this and she set all them up you know um so she's the one who had killed everybody and at the end her like prosthetic ghost or whatever was so ugly it was like a wax dummy looking thing it just looks so fake um so then they also have that one yvonne associate Socia that played the actress, that beautiful actress Deanna Petrie that just dis, that disappeared at Rose Red. Um, April Rimbauer was the daughter. She disappeared at Rose Red. She was Paige Gordon, is the actress who played her. Um, John's ex-business partner committed suicide at Rose Red, and he was played by um, his name, the actor's name is Don Adler Alder, and the and the characters is Douglas Posey. You just see all these people, okay? Um, and you just kind of—he does have lots of character references, which we'll try to go through that. This might be a longer podcast just because this is a mini series. Um, it was—it was interesting. Um, I like it, but I wouldn't say it's the best work. I think it's just too much of like of a patch job of so many different. Influences that it just didn't become a cohesive work. And I don't think it would have worked any other way than a miniseries. Um, and it barely worked as a miniseries, you know. Um, So this is what, this is the history according to, of Rose Red, according to flashbacks and discussions, okay. Um, so it's just going through and there's Ellen's diary that they, you know, went through, but also that she was lying in her diary as well. So Rosa Red was built in nineteen oh six. John Rimbauer was an oilman, so he's very rich. So instead of being um, a Winchester salesman, so we're gonna we're two thousand two, so we're gonna attack oil instead of guns. Okay, um, <laughs> I hate to say that, but that's just the that was the climate at the time. Um, so he um, had a wife. Um, he was an older man, I think, and she was a uh, you know she was not super young, but you know. He looked older than her. I don't know there's ages or anything um, that we're supposed to be. But anyway, he met his young wife, Ellen. Um, he built this mansion. It was a Tudor Gothic style. And it's situated on 40 acres in the middle, in the heart of Seattle. Okay? And it's funny because there's a scene where you see like this huge city. And there's like this 40 acres of this this old Gothic House, and it's due to be the um, last heir that great great grandson or whatever that, that Dr. Reardon is boinking. And uh, you, you know, she's using nature's credit card to get her way with him. Anyway, she uh, he's about to have it sell it, and it's going to be torn down. And he's so he knows the history of it. His mom was always like, "This place is cursed." He has suppressed memories that he saw people. That kind of comes out during the miniseries that he actually remembers. He, oh yeah, I saw people. He went up. They were actually going to make him disappear, but his mom shows up and grabs him. She's like, "Don't ever come back to this place. This place is evil." She was trying to steal something of value, like china or jewelry, and that was just kind of like the end. So he just was like. I was told never to go there because it does something to all the men and descendants. I believe it was the men specifically, but it could just be all the descendants. And I think his mother was married into it, but I'm not, so, because his name was, um, you know, Rimbauer. So, <laughs> obviously his mother was not a Rimbauer, and that's why she was able to survive and not die. His dad died there or something like that. Okay. um, So, he gave... The John Rimbauer gave this house, this fancy Tudor mansion situated on like 40 acres in the in the heart of Seattle. Of course, back then it was, uh, you know, it was 1906, so it wasn't like this big city like it is now. But anyway, um, it's like a wooded area and everything. Okay, so he gave her this gift of this house, and she, of course, because it's Stephen King, and we still. Don't realize that you shouldn't be using these themes, okay? It's 2002, the Indian burial ground, or also, that's what they were calling it, but it's actually Native American burial ground or Native American. I don't know what the right, correct word for it is. I, I would just say, like, it's a religious spot for them. It's their holy, sacred place. Instead of making it into, like, a graveyard cemetery, which is, like, a European, Westerner concept, Let's just, let's not just try to, you know, understand that that's not what this is. It's like a very special, important thing. So I hope he stop. I'm glad. He, I hope he never uses this again because I, f- I think it's probably offensive. I don't have a, I'm not a person to talk of it, but I can't imagine that people want to believe that it's like a racist idea. Is it not? I don't know. Y'all got, you guys tell me if you're native or indigenous or First Nation, why don't drop me an email and let me know, like, do you, is it, when you hear the word, um, Indian Bearground, Native American Bear, bear ground, and the idea is cursed and hurt and hurting people, does that not offend you? Because I can't imagine if, I mean, it's like making fun of your religion and turning you into a, I don't know, like a, just like, your magical bad guy, you know? Kind of like the idea that Fred brought up in, um, when we we're talking about Mr. Mercedes of the magical black person, you know, um, which comes again in as a possible theme in the Green Mile, which I'm going to read. I started it and didn't finish it, but anyway, um, yeah, so drop me a line and let me know. Did I say, um, kiss me fat boy podcast at gmail.com? Anyway, um, okay, so. We're just gonna hope that he has learned his lesson and he will never do that again. Okay, let's just hope that that's over, because who cares if it's on? First of all, he shouldn't have done. You shouldn't build on that, but that doesn't mean it's gonna be cursed automatically. You know what I'm saying? Because technically, if you think about it, almost everywhere that anybody ever is is gonna have graves underneath it. So I just think that's kind of like a negative. I know it's a negative image of another race. That's that's not cool. Um. Okay, so the house curse even as it's being constructed. Um, three construction workers were killed on site. A construction foreman was murdered by a coworker, which you can see these guys like building. Um, in fact, when uh, the heir is remembering, he sees Ellen, and she's like, "Come here." I don't remember his name. I don't know. It's like Billy. I know it's not Billy, but come here, kid, and pick up hammer. Start, you know, and so they were going to kill him and everybody who's, it's like, it's like, hey, welcome to your afterlife. Not only are you trapped in this stupid old house and every time somebody comes here, you got to, like, scare them. And you're under the control of this evil lady who is, like, making you continuously, eternally build this house. It's like, it's like, I thought death would be restful. I didn't think I was going to have to be in construction. Like, do you, like, automatically learn construction? Is that part of the... The magic of the place is stupid, but anyway, okay, so all right, so it's being built and everything. So, while they're you know, that's the present, honey, the wedding present. Um, and so while they're honeymo- honeymooning in Africa, Ellen falls ill, okay, and uh, she gets sick from an unspecific STI. <laughs> given to her by unfaithful husband and uh anyway so okay sukina is um an african i just want to make sure because i remember they were kind of presenting her in the in the the outfit you know the dress with the the head wrap they were presenting her as some kind of slave almost but anyway she um sukina is a local tribes woman who saved her life and because of that um, she became very close, and she brought her back home to America, and they became best friends, and I think she became her spiritual advisor. And so, anyway, so they come back, and, uh, by the way, that's like the stupidest, uh, way to get sick in Africa, like, um, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's like, welcome to your honeymoon, here is your other present. <laughs> um, anyway, so, um... Yeah, so they have two children after they, um, of course, you know, she brings Sukina home with her, and she's her servant, but she's really like her best friend. Um, They uh, have two children, Adam and April, and then um, April was born with a withered arm, which is, back in those days, would make her an undesirable, and they blame, usually blame the wife, saying, oh my gosh, you know, you did this, you know. Now, Ellen was um, unhappy in her marriage because he kept sleeping around and he was neglectful and, you know, just running around doing all this stuff. And so she decided to kill him, okay? Um, but she did have a seance, and that's when she became she came to believe that she needed to expand and build on the house. And as long as she did that, she would never die. But the thing is that craziest that she's like a walking corpse, but also like a ghost, so... It, I guess she. You, you don't really die if you're if you think if you believe in it. You don't really die. You just move on to a different plane, but she chose to uh, trap herself in this stupid house as a half corpse, half um, spirit thing, and it was just like gross and didn't. It was it just didn't work out for her, you know. So bizarre deaths that keep happening. Weird things keep happening in the house, no. And disappearances, of course. It's more than anything. I think it was like all the boys disappear, like. Something like all the men disappear or all the men get killed and all the women disappear was one of the, something like that. But um, I think that's what it was. All the men get, I don't know. All the men get killed and all the women disappear. The daughter disappeared. And uh, I think the son died later, but he was able to produce heirs and keep the line going. So I guess that's one reason why she's letting people Keep, uh, keep live and some of them die and they come back when they get older and they get killed I don't know so female service disappeared and one of John uh, so that's us the, say there's the female thing so disappearing just like the daughter and then the male, a male friend of uh, the husband, he died of a bee sting in the solarium which is also what happened to that nosy um, reporter and uh, now his part business partner um he was confronting him about stealing money or something like that because um, Mr. John Rimbauer was stealing from him. So, um, so I guess um, he was stung by a bee sting, and then I think John hanged himself in the house. And the kids found them or did it right in front of them. Anyway, so, and when you go in the solarium, you can see, like, him hanging. Somebody's hanging. You can see, like, their feet. And then, like, these bees are like ghost bees, and they come back. And uh, they look more like hornets, but they're, I guess they're bees. But anyway, um, so April vanished while playing in the kitchen. Her mother, never to be seen or heard from again, and all she left behind was her doll. Uh, Sukina was babysitting her. She was the last person to see her live and she was um, tortured and uh, questioned by the local police because you know they can do whatever they want to to people of, of color, especially they you know especially an immigrant. Yeah, come on, she had no chance. She was tortured, and then finally, um, April comes. Not April. Is it Emily? See I'm, see, I'm bad with names. The wife comes and rescues Sukina um. so and then Adam is sent the son is sent out after the daughter disappears Adam is sent away to boarding school and kept away from the house as much as possible Um. okay so never mind I'm getting this confused so okay so um. The I guess the business partner got stung and then hung himself <laughs> doesn't make any sense it's like it's like he was stabbed it's like Rasputin he was stabbed and shot and drowned it's like Come on. Anyway, um, so uh, John, the husband, threw. he had a suicide by throwing himself out of the top window of the attic. But his letter revealed that Sukina and Ellen tricked him by Sukina was like, "I'm, you know, let me make out with you. I'm going to be your next woman. Let's get it on because he can't say no to a woman type guy. And so they're upstairs making out and she pushes him out the window and they laugh and uh, of course, that's where their corpses hang out up there, but then their spirits appear all out through the house. Um, anyway, so he did not commit suicide, he was murdered. Uh, so she used almost all of the money that was left to continue to add on to the home for several decades. She made it huge and pretty much filled up the whole 40 acres, except for some, you know, landscaping, like a wonderful pool that's creepy, and, uh, trees that kind of, like, eat people and stuff. Just weird stuff. Um, mysterious appearances, disappearances keep happening over the years. Uh, an actress, um, who was a good friend of Ellen disappeared, which I talked about that. Um, it doesn't make any sense why some of them are disappearing, because Ellen, you know, eventually Ellen and Sukina disappeared in the 50s, so it's just, like, one thing after another, you know? So, I guess... They kind of, like, sacrificed all these people. The house took them and made them build. But I never saw the fancy lady. She shows up wearing a beautiful red dress and tries to seduce one of the guys. And then one minute she's like a skeleton, gross, corpsey kind of like shining moment. next minute she's beautiful or whatever. So I didn't see her with a hammer. I'm just saying, like, I'd be one of those ghosts that they'd make take a hammer. And instead, I couldn't be the sexy girl... At the party for all eternity, like at The Shining and a little bit of this movie, movie you know. Anyway, so. Alright, so. Um, Adam inherited the house, but he lived there for a little bit of time with his wife. But he could not handle it anymore. He left it after seeing so many scary, spooky things. Um, he saw his sister's ghost um as a child you know she was a child she just disappeared he would watch the rooms change and grow bigger in front of his eyes and that was a moment towards the end when julian sand's character gets killed which was so sad i loved his character so much where the hallway just expanded like infinite so things like that is probably what he saw so he just he left and um anyway so he left and he never came back but then um he died, and the less the family fortune is almost gone, you know. Um, so his wife was able to get money by letting the hist- Seattle Historical Society give tours of the house, um, but that would only go on for a few years because in 1972, one of the female see it's always a female that disappears, and a man the males get murdered. Um, anyway, one of the female tourists of the tour ladies disappeared and she got caught up in that, you know, so they just ended up, um, they only had, you know, able to do so much. So they quit those tours. Some paranormal, investigators came in through the, in the sixties and seventies and, you know, whatever came of those things. Um, soon they just closed the house off because it was really obvious that this house was cursed and nothing but trouble And, of course, you know, nowadays you would say there's a lot of legal liability in that. Of course, back then, people didn't do those kind of things. So, the miniseries begins in the year 2001, and he is the great-grandson, so I was right about that. So, the great-grandson of John and Ellen um, is Stephen Rimbauer, and he, um, that's kind of where we get to the point where he's about to sell it and have it torn down and, um you know, it's like the last holdout, and before he does, he wants his. He's gotten conned by Doctor Reardon to uh, do this last psychic um, thing. You know, and she puts her money into it, and she's willing to pay them like twenty-five thousand dollars or something crazy. Now Annie and her sister Sissy, Sissy agrees to it on behalf of Annie because she's kind of like. The only one that Annie can really, she understands Annie and communicates with her as much as she can. Um, Annie's not really; um, she's mostly nonverbal, but she can speak and say things. But she's just, you know, how if for those who have children, you understand that sometimes they speak a few words and sometimes they don't speak at all. But it's not like it's just because you're, you know, they they know what's going on. You know, that's and that's they're not like, oh, where am I? You know. So, you know, they just have some limitations sometimes on some of the things they can do. Um, But she's able to speak a little bit, but not a lot. She's mostly nonverbal. She needs to be put, according to Sissy, she needs to be put in a comfortable place. Because being at home is just too dangerous because if she gets upset, she'll start having these uh, telekinesis moments where the house will be breaking down and things will be happening. They're just scared of her. So she pushes her parents, who didn't want her to do it, and she's like, we're going to do this or not. And then, of course, I think Annie kind of pitches a fit because she wants to go. The house is calling to her, and she wants to go as well. And um, so she just kind of stands her ground with a telekinesis attack on, like, scaring her parents for one last time. I think her mom was gone, but maybe her dad was still alive, and he was really against it. And um, But Sissy's just trying to get Annie into a good hospital to take care of her because of her telekinesis not necessarily for her autism i think she's just trying to get her sister protected but i don't know i mean if someone's that powerfully psych tele- telekinesis psychic i don't think you can protect them necessarily but anyway so um that's that's pretty much it so um that's kind of like the beginning of it so all right so um they all agree one by one. She gets them all to agree and they kind of meet up at the college and do a preliminary talk. That's when that reporter who let her get stung by B and then hung or killed just like the other guy. Um, it's like the partner, this cheating partner did. Uh, he, he sneaks into the house later and gets in there. And by the way, he has the like most giant looking cell phone with him of all time. Anyway. So, um, that other Professor Miller was trying to take down Professor Reardon and make her look a quack. Um, anyway, so he's actually the first victim of this thing because he sneaks in and gets killed before anything happens. But anyway, so as they're, they're coming up. They have met a couple times. They're coming up, and the big question that Miller wanted to prove was that she was using qu- equipment that belonged to the college, which was using funds, which is a misappropriation of funds, And he was going to bring her down and get her tenure revoked or something like that on those grounds because he wanted to be the department chair because she wasn't a real scientist or whatever. And so, yeah, so that's kind of what happens. And uh, it doesn't work out for him because he ends up getting killed, too, I think, if my my, uh, memory serves me correctly. So they go up to the house and they pull in and it's all, you know, gothic looking. It's all huge and brick and stone and there's like a fountain out front. You know, it just looks all dilapidated. They pull in and right before they do, she's like, Dr. Reardon's like, okay, let's start off. Can you feel or see anything? And, you know, they're seeing stuff. And for some reason, they're not disclosing all the negative stuff they're saying. I don't know if they're like, let's just see what happens. But, like, Amory isn't really coming clean with all the, the warnings he's been getting from all the ghosts. Yeah, um, because he wants the money. And then um, the... The older gentleman, he sees something, too. And it's just like they're just, as they're walking in, they just ignore it, you know? And I think that um, Annie is able to open the door with her telekinesis. I think that's how it starts, okay? So, um, let's see. Now, Sissy and Annie, you know, they all arrive, and um, Sissy's just there to help and um, kind of be there as her guardian. She's like, I have to be with her. That's one of the conditions. Um, now, they do talk about there's an optical illusion that the um, upside-down room in the is a lot... Li- there's an upside-down room, which who knows why, but it was like the craziness of the building. And then there's a library with a mirrored floor, which actually turns out to be a real dangerous room later. Um, they do find uh, the reporter Bollinger's cell phone, and Steve calls it, and that's when, um, Miller, Professor Miller answers it, and they, uh, kind of confront him over the phone and everything. Anyway, so, that's when, uh, that night, they start off right into it, so Emory sees the ghost of that actress, um, Pam dreams of a, uh, Dreams about Kevin Bollinger and his decomposing body. She gets really traumatized. Um, the uh, Sissy and Annie are visited by a ghost under the bed and in the closet, but they don't see it. And then Kathy, she'll see. She saw something moving under the carpet and the blankets coming towards her, and they were just kind of like trying to fight everything off, you know. Now, um, so. Pam is lured outside of her room. Uh, she's one. She's actually the second one to go. So she is um, lured outside by um, I think one of. The, it's like a fake version of one of the people, and I can't remember which one it was. I think it might have been the lady who, um, the other lady. So like, let's see. The the lady that touches stuff that I was telling you about. She. Lures a fake not really hurts, it's a doppelganger. She lures out um Pam and Pam drowns in the fountain. She just disappears. Um, and then then after that, Pam comes to the guy, the older guy who sees things. She's like, I gotta show you something, and she lures him out and he gets killed too. So this is like a chain of each other. I gotta show you something, it makes complete sense. I understand this place now, this is what they're saying. Um, But that's just kind of jumping ahead. So the next morning, Dr. Miller gets Steve's voicemail message where he confronts him. Um, But instead of what it actually says, it says that Bollinger slit his wrist and wrote Miller's name in blood before he died. So that's not what he actually said. So the house is already changing things. Now, um, so that causes Dr. Miller to go toward to go to the mansion and he ends up ends up getting killed later. Um Patricia, um, that's Emery's mom. She's also driving up to the mansion because she's been unable to reach her son. Her son via cell phone. He has no service. And he she is like, you gotta call and check on me because she knew her son was the real deal and she knew that the ghosts were warning him and she's like, just take the precautions like we talked about. So it's like, you know, So when it's getting about to get dangerous, you gotta leave, type thing. So she runs up there to look for her son, and she ends up getting killed, eventually, not right away. Um, so they arrive at the same time, Miller and Mom, and they end up the cars hit each other, and then she swerves uh, to avoid what she thinks is a figure running across the road, but she um, ends up run. She gets out of the car and she runs through the woods to the forest. And looking for a son. And she just kind of disappears, you know. But Miller's wanting to get her insurance information for the car wreck. Which is ironic because I just had that talked about that earlier. So he's running after. He's like, get me your insurance lady. <laughs> this is like the dumbest thing ever. He could have been like, are you a real lady? What's going on? <laughs> anyway, so Emery hears his mother. And he starts looking. He thinks, oh, this is just the ghost playing with me. So he's like, I'm not listening to you. Because he's been having these auditory Um, disturbances like the whole time he's there he's been seeing things and they're like messing with him so he just thinks it's just the house messing with him because he understands how bad the house is he doesn't extend the full extent of it but he's just like he understands he understands more than anybody I think what he was getting into but he was like dude I'm broke I don't think he would have given his life or his mother's life for it but I think that you know he's the closest one to understanding All right, so Pam fake Pam leads Vic into the garden like I said towards a towards the pond with the statue of Ellen in it. That's when she disappears and Vic looks into the pond and that's where he sees debt. Pam's dead body He tries to pull her out, but then the body vanishes and he's in ends up holding only her, um, nightgown. He panics and he runs back towards the house, but then the statue comes alive, the statue of Ellen. And, uh, he sees it come alive. He starts having a heart attack and I think it throws something at him. Um, So, uh, Emory actually sees Vic outside, but he thinks it's another illusion. And then, um, he's like, I don't know, whatever. And then he refuses to open the window, but then Nick sees it and he's like, we've got to help him. And so Emory's like, oh wait, this is real, but they can't open the window. It's locked. Everything's locked. So Vic is just having his heart attack. Um, okay. So then, uh, you know, Emery's mom is running around. She stopped and she's knocked out by the ghost of, of Kevin Bollinger. So he's running around with his mole on his face being scary. Anyway, but she's not dead yet, okay? But Vic does die of a heart attack, and then of course the birds start coming down like and pecking out his eyes, and they're like, Stop it. Leave him alone. This is torture. But anyway, okay. So and remember this is our way through episodes one and two. So here's part three. The final part, okay. Right, I think part three, I think it was a three part series. Yep, that's it. Final part, okay. So, um, Annie finds a dollhouse, it's a replica of the mansion. And Dr. Reardon's like, Do you like that? Because it's like real high up and you can't reach. She's like, Do you like that? She's like, You know what? If you work with me, I will take it down and let you play with it. But, um, before she does she's standing on the chair and uh she's trying to get to it uh and she falls and knocks and gets knocked out the minute she gets knocked out the doors open up and that's when they're able to get out so like oh um but anyway but they don't realize that they don't realize that connection that annie's the the battery for the house making it super powerful and um but they're too busy trying to help her, like Sissy and Dr. Ritter are trying to help her, and they're like, you know, let's try to help, you know. So um, Rachel and Steve see her fall, and they trip, try to help her with some first aid. But while the, on the other side of the house, that's when they're all re- realizing that, you know, the the doors and windows now can open. They're no longer walked, locked in. So Emery, he, he um, realizes then, oh, wait a minute. If Vic was real, then maybe my mom was real. So he runs runs outside looking for his mom, and he finds her car. He sees Doctor Miller, and he warns him to stay away. And he runs away. Of course, Doctor Miller doesn't listen. Um, Emery runs after Doctor Miller, but he can't catch him. And uh, so he goes back inside. Of course, Miller's running around, Look, like, oh, because he keeps. I think he see, he ends up seeing the ghost of Kevin Bollinger, and he's attacked He attacks him and kills him. I believe that's right. He might not be dead, but I th- he does get attacked. Okay, so Emery is like when the child wakes, when Annie wakes up again, the house is locked down. So Emery's like, wait a minute, this is the connection. He's the only one with any sense, by the way. I think um, Julian, State, what Steve? I think his name. I think that they can. I think they. Can, he has some sense, but Emery's the most like. Logical, rational, bound to earth thinking of all for a psychic, especially. But anyway, he's like, We need to leave. He tries to leave on his own, but he runs into um, the ghosts of Pam and Deanna, and uh, that's the movie star, okay? And um, so he's just like, No, whatever. So he has the power to make them disappear by reading. He, um, what he'll do is like, Not there, not there, not there, and they'll kind of poof away. and, uh, he's able to, now his mother does, in between all the stuff, they come across in the middle of the night, when all the power and everything went off, they come across, um, I think it was Dr. Reardon and, oh, who was it? I don't know which one it was, but one of them was like, I want to make some tea or whatever. And they come across the, the body of... Um, she's actually raving rank, raving mad. Like, she's been driven insane. So, Emory's mother's running around the house trying to attack them, and they're like, she's, she's just gone insane. The house has made her insane. So, they kind of, like, tie her up. And then, she, like, I think she, I don't know if they had to hit her or something, but she gets knocked out. I think maybe they give her something to calm her down. I don't know what happens, but she's unconscious. And after they leave her, something drags her upstairs to the Um, secret door to the attic. And they also see the, the young daughter ghost as well. Um, I don't know if they see her, but it's shown that she's walking around. And so somebody drags her away. I think it's Tsukina's dragging her away. And that's, they don't show how she dies, but she's dead after that. And she reappears as a ghost later. Okay. Um, so, um, also, one thing that is when the um when he tries to leave whenever he's trying to leave um he sees he's finally he's trying to leave and that's when Annie wakes up and her the house comes back to life and so all the doors shut and he had his window he had um his hand on the door about to leave and the door slams and it cuts his fingers cut some of his fingers off and he's screaming and he's got blood everywhere and he's like Ah you know he's just like you know, the house was able to to kind of like bring down the most, uh, you know, powerful opponent in my opinion. Um, so that's when Dr. Reardon secretly whispers to Annie to please keep the doors and windows sealed, promising her that if you do, I'll give you this dollhouse and let you play with it. Um, but Steve realizes that he can communicate with. Annie telepathically, and so they'd be kind of... So he talks to her in her head, and she responds back. So they kind of become have a bond. Um, and that's Steve, you know. he was like one of my favorite characters. I just was like so sad when he died. Is it Steve? No way, not Steve. Here I am with the messed up Nick. Okay. Um, Nick is the one that, that dies that makes me sad. Okay, so Steve remembers his me- repressed memories about his mother, and that's about how she was like, Bill, take up this hammer. And uh, he remembers that, and he's like, wait a minute. And he's like, I don't think that Annie is the spirit of Rose Red. Um, sorry, I said that wrong. He is thinking that the spirit is not keeping the house sealed. The Annie is. Um, he does... So he confirms what Emery thought, you know, that she's keeping it. And Emery's like, we need to knock her out. I won't hurt her. I'll just knock her out. But then he's kind of like low-key acting like he might kill her. They're like, you're not going to hurt this child. Anyway, so um, they did find Bollinger at that point. He had hung himself in the library. That's the glass floor one, okay? The group begins to um, think, wait a minute. Is this house haunted? (laughs) It's like, are you guys dumbasses? And they're like, it's never been dormant. All these ghosts have been building it nonstop. But obviously, it's not really. It was somewhat dormant, I would argue, because it needed Annie and it kept it pulled her in. You know, I mean, it was able to reach out, but it still, you know, had some, you know, oomph to it, you know. But anyway, so. Somehow, Annie and Steve are the ones who really have control and power of the situation, okay? So um, Nick figures out that Joyce or Dr. Reardon brought the psychics in the house to reawaken Rose Red instead of investigate it because, you know, so he's busted. But then he ends up dying. The house is like, no, you can't do that. So they're running away and um, trying to get away. There's like chaos breaks out. So Emery, you know, he wants to kill her, kill Annie. So he does. I guess he does say it outright, but um, they're they're like, no, no, you can't do that, you know. So, um, now Kathy is attacked by, that's what I was talking about, by Emery's mom, and is rescued by Nick. That's when they um tie her up and leave her in the kitchen. So I knew that was something like that, and then they um they decide not to tell Emery. Because they think, okay, he's he's, he's trying to kill his, this chick. If he finds out his mom's here, it might be just too much for his sanity. So they're just like, we'll keep her here, and we'll tell him when he calms down in the morning or whatever. Um, but that doesn't help. So Sakina takes her off into the wine cellar. I thought she took her to the attic, but whatever. Um, so the house starts changing around Nick and Kathy, and that's when um, they become lost, and something is chasing them under the carpet like it did before. And Nick's like, Just go. So Nick shows Kathy into her room, and he saves her life, and then he disappears. And he's, you know, there's a skeletal monster rushing at him. So Kathy's upset, but when she opens the door, the house is different again. There's no sign of him. It's just an empty hallway, and there's nothing out there other than, you know. But it's still changing, and she ends up in the attic, and um, this is the automatic writing chick, by the way, if I didn't say that, the, the conservative, holiness-looking chick. Um, she um, she starts rotting, and that's when she has a psychic vision of how John was really murdered by Sakina and Ellen. Um, now Steve and Rachel are looking for Nick and Kathy. They find Kathy in the attic where she's about to be attacked by one of these like corpse things, right, Ellen or... I don't even know. It was, like, was it Ellen or Sakina? I don't know. But they were able to stop it when they showed up. It just drops lifeless to the floor in front of them like a bag of bones. Ooh, bag of bones. Stiff King, available in audio and paper format. Anyway, and ebook. Um. Okay, so it turns out that it's an adult body with a withered arm, which means that that child still grew up. The the disappeared daughter, actually, still is alive and grew up but then she then all of a sudden she like disintegrates a lot shoots at her and she disintegrates so i don't know what the hell hell that even means um they finally get back together the whole group those that are still alive um back to the main hall that's when Emery tries to knock annie out or kill her i guess with a fireplace poker um annie's able to use her uh telekinesis that not what it's called To move things. She um, animates a suit of armor and attempts to kill Emery (laughs) with its halberd. Um, It's really hard to tell if they're trying to kill each other or if they're just acting hysterically. But I would say that they're just trying to kill each other. She's trying to kill him because he tried to kill her. I don't think she's a malicious child, but it's obvious that she, like, you know, is going to protect herself. Plus, she has a... um, Impulse control issues with her telekinesis. Uh, they decide that um, Emery's like, well, let's just knock her out then. Uh, that should let us all escape, you know? And then Annie is basically saying, you know, mess with me and I'll get you, you know? And then um, jo- Dr. Reardon comes in and is like, you guys just calm down. And then um, Steve, like... His uh, his psychic powers have um, become alive from being back in the house, and I guess the house knew, and that's why it brought him back in too, because he could have just let them have permission to go in there like before, but he, they needed him for some reason, uh, the house needed him. So um, Kathy and and Annie, the automatic writer, Kathy, she um, Steve helps form a link between them, and she starts automatically writing. And, um, and so they, so as Kathy's automatically writing, Annie's also drawing pictures of boulders, striking the house, and, um, smashing the doors and windows, and that's when, again, the, the rocks rain from the sky, and the house gets attacked, and everything happens, and... Um, Kathy ends up saying, help us, when she writes that down, open the doors. That's when Annie is able to, she reaches Annie and is able to open the doors and unseal the house. And then um, Steve, Emery, Kathy, Rachel, and Annie are the only, and that's Sissy, are the only ones able to leave the house. And they're the only ones that survive because Joyce, Dr. Reardon, she's insane she refuses to, she's obsessed with the house she refuses to leave so the house the, the doors close in um, the group is they're trying to leave and and that's when the uh, the specter of ellen is what it says on the on the synopsis but i would say her ghost shows up but there's also like corpsey people that show up too so she, anyway she tries to stop them but annie's able to freeze her and keep her from going near um and that's also when uh, Emery's mom is inside the mirror and tries to grab Emery, pull him into the next, you know, life. But he is able to fight her off um, with help from Stephen, and Kathy, and he's able to uh, say no to his mother for the first time in his life. Um, she does vanish, vanish again, and he's kind of like, Mother, I'm moving out or something like that, you know. <laughs> uh, anyway. So they get down out of the house. Of course, the, the stones are still raining down, but they're able to escape. Um, Joyce kind of comes to herself. Doctor Reardon, but she's like, it's too late. She wants to leave in the house. Just there, all the ghosts are, are coming around her. We got Nick, Pam, Vic, Mrs. Waterman, um, Professor Miller, um, the Sukina, and uh, Bollinger, the reporter, and then that actress, Diana. Petrie, Petri, she screams, and then they're start closing in on her. She screams, and then it's like over. Boom. Bye-bye, Dr. Reardon. Six months later, they visit, the, those people that survived visit Rose Red right before it's about to be um, broken down and placed with condominiums. This like gives me a moment, so let's just stop here for a second. Rose Red, do you remember in the um tower series in the uh the la i think it was in the drawing is it i think it was in the drawing of the three the second book where um jake goes and he sees this like kind of like an empty field in the middle of the city because you know that's very rare especially but there's always some kind of like undeveloped forgotten land and of course he was like in the 80s and he sees this beautiful red rose in the field and in, in one of these like urban Fields, they're not really like fields, you know. But anyway, and like in a lot with some grow weeds and stuff, okay? He sees that red rose and it's so beautiful, he's drawn to it. And he goes into and that's where there's this house, but it's also saying coming soon, so so condominiums in the future. So that's what I think he's referring which we'll go into the cross references in just a second. Um I think that's what he's kind of referring to. So Rose Red is obviously maybe a thin place and maybe a portal, but he doesn't say that outright. Um, So the fact that those, you know, that he kind of puts that, you know. So we don't know what's going to happen with those condominiums because this is Seattle, not New York, you know. But they do throw uh, some roses down, some red roses, which is stupid to me, but whatever. Um, You know, kind of like to say goodbye of all the, Ghosts, you know, that people that died there, and as they leave, Ellen, Sukina, and Joyce are watching their ghosts. By the way, because <laughs> Joyce is dead now, is she watching through the um, the window as they leave? They're up, all upstairs in the tower. Okay, so here we go. That is the whole plot of Rose Red. Now, let's see, and I'm looking through this this like list of of. Of references because I want to see what what it has to say. Okay, so they're saying that um, Annie is similar to Carrie from the the you know, and Carrie's supposedly the daughter of the the Crimson King, I think, or no Randall Flag maybe I, she's some she's some famous person um, now. And I haven't read Carrie yet, but apparently Carrie did the stones on her house, which isn't in the movie, so it's different. Or maybe it's at the end. But anyway, so Annie does the same thing at the beginning of, of the and the end of the of the miniseries, okay? Um it says in the epilogue of Carrie there's a brief appearance of a young girl named Annie, who it appears has the same powers as Carrie. So that's in the epilogue, so that's at okay, at the ending. Okay, so I guess that was his way of dropping that crumb and picking it up again. Um, so now it says Deanna Petrie shares the last name of a young protagonist, Mark Petrie, in Salem's Lot. Okay, that's just a reference, kind of like Castle Rock. They had a lot of little random references. Emery Waterman shares the name and character traits with Harold Emery Louder from The Stand. Okay. I don't think that's exactly fair, but okay, that's stretch. That's an extremely big stretch. I mean, glasses and nerdiness. I don't remember Harold's mom being all up in his business like Emery's mom was, and Harold was just a weirdo. He was a teenage weird loser with acne. I mean, greasy hair and parted down the middle and glasses is not enough to make, because Harold wasn't psychic. I don't know. Anyway. Um. So Nick shares similarities to Nick Hopewell from the Langoliers. Nick, all right, and of course he's British, and, make it, and uh, I don't know. Says he has to constrain Emery's mother when she's lost her mind, similar way that he did to Craig, to Nick did to Craig, to me. the Langoliers, I just hate that book, but I like Nick's character. And so Nick dies again. So we're always gonna have a Nick dying for people. Sexy Nick, the spy. Uh, Anyway, so um, Rose Red is referred to to in King's Black House. See? That's right. He did bring it up as one of the places that slippage occurs. That's right. I remember that now. Um, I just finished that book today, like I said. (laughs) And, of course, Pam has the uh, power of the touch, you know, the telekinesis. Um, It's not referred to as its name, but um, supposedly this is what Elaine, Al- Elaine or Alan, it's, it's Alan, but it's like fancy. Elaine, Elaine. I say it, the, my southern accent doesn't do, but basically Alan, okay? Johns and Jake Chambers having the Dark Tower novels. I don't, I don't remember Jake having that prop power. Alan was, or Elaine, he was one of the original of uh, Roland's quartet. If you don't remember that, look you can look it up, okay. Okay, so it says there's a wait a minute, what is this shit? Okay, hold on a second. It says the companion novel, the diary of Ellen Rimbauer dates the Expedition of Rose Red Mansion. Ha- <clears throat> taking place in two thousand <coughs> or before the year two thousand? Is this? Did I miss something? Okay, there's a prequel television film called "The Diary of Ellen Rimbauer," based on a novel by Pearson. It was released in two thousand three, and like Rose reddit King had no involvement. What the hell? What is going on? What is going on? It is a prequel to the miniseries, and oh, okay, I understand. So they got they got permission and. And kind of like, um, that one book, that one movie from the, the story, that sometimes they come back, and then they have, like, sometimes they come back two, three, and four, or something crazy. I guess it just kind of went on its own. So Stephen King didn't write it. That is odd, though. So, okay, so they changed things. Um, and that miniseries, I think I might look into that, if I can find it, takes place, um... Let's see, it says, whatever happened was 1991, and then their statement dated, they had a bill of dating 2002, whatever. Um, The death of John Rimbauer is different in the miniseries than in the novel. Um, What is it talking about? Like, what is this talking about? There's no Rose Red novel, is there? I'm going to have a heart attack and die if there is. I thought this was written straight. I'm going to have to figure this out, and I might end up having to... Let's see. Hold on a minute. Conceived as a feature film. That's what it said, okay? Did he write a book? Because I don't see a book. What are they talking about? I don't understand the things that are happening. Okay, hold on a second. Um, okay, part of this... Their, their um, marketing campaign for ABC... Had a fake website called, and they published a fake, let's see, fake website with a fictional Beaumont University, which is in the one in the Rose Red. And then they published a book called The Diary of Ellen Rimbauer, My Life at Rose Red in 2001. And it was supposed to be written, a novel written by her, okay? And it was edited by Dr. Joyce Reardon. <laughs> this is dumb. Now I have to go chase this down. Uh, Steven, they just got away from you, bud. You should not have let these things happen. Um, anyway, so let's see. It talks about the, the book was different than the movie. He literally wrote the movie straight for a film, and they come back and write a book afterwards, and then they change the things as part of the marketing. That's the weirdest thing I ever heard. Um, let's see. They changed the the murder of John's partner. Um, He says that he was hit by a pop gun, accidentally fired by John's son. He falls on the noose, sit around his neck. That sounds like um, House on the Haunted Hill or Haunted Hill House or whatever from Netflix where that girl's like, Mom, give me a hug. She's like, Here, darling, let me put this necklace around your neck. It was a noose. That was such a good show. Anyway... um, So, whatever. Um, then there's a mockumentary called Unlocking Rose Red, The Diary of Ellen Rimbauer. Okay. So they even did a fake mockumentary. It says, okay, this is just a little extra. So they talk about this, it's all about this Deanna Petrie, the, um, actress that disappeared in 1934, and they said no, it was 1934, 1994, not 1946. Um... What the hell? Can I help you guys? You guys are confusing me. So let me get this straight. Stephen King said, no, I don't want to write this book. I just want to write a a movie. I'm going to do a straight straight to film screenplay. I'm going to write this screenplay, and uh, I'm going to put all these different elements. And for some reason, I don't feel like this would be good as a novel. I'm just going to write this as straight to a miniseries, which was Stephen King's jam back in the 90s, 80s and 90s. And it's 2001. And he was almost, he had written it in 96 as a film. And then, of course, it morphed into this giant patchwork of, oh, I like this movie. I like this book. I like this thing. I like this theme. I like this thing. Let's make it all together. It's like a, it's like Thanksgiving or Christmas next day sandwiches where you take the, all the food left over and you make it into a sandwich or you make like turkey tetrazzini. But instead of putting uh, since things that make sense, you're like, oh, you know, I really like cherries. So we have some cherries left over from a fruit cocktail that nobody ate. So I'll just throw these in my turkey Tetrazzini. Anyway. Okay. So he did that, but then he's like, you know, yeah, you guys do whatever you want to with the marketing. Go ahead and write a a fake book as marketing and go ahead and do a mockumentary. Which is really just a... I don't think the mockumentary is the right word. Because mockumentary is like when it's making fun of, I think. I think, if I'm understanding correctly, it was just another promotional thing. And it wasn't a mockumentary. It was a fake documentary. I think the mockumentary is the wrong word for it. So anyway, so they made a documentary about the disappeared uh, actress. In which they changed the date, which is dumb. They uh, wrote a fake um, diary book of Ellen diary that uh dr reardon edited yet she also changed (laughs) changed details like can't anybody like what is the what is going on this is like this is actually weirder the real life is actually weirder than the story the the fictional story all right guys i guess that said i mean i like think rose red is a one and done type of deal um it's it's He had stuff from Canon, but uh, it got away from him, obviously. So I wouldn't be too—I wouldn't consider this too holy grail of Stephen King. It's interesting. The actors made it work. Um, The the special effects were stupid, but everything else was okay. Like I think it's a one and done. If you don't want to watch it, you'll you won't lose anything. Uh, it doesn't add to the canon. Like I said, he might refer some stuff, but he doesn't create new um, dialogue for his bigger picture universe type thing. He just was borrowing um, from his own spice cabinet and, you know, taking his leftovers and turning it into a casserole. All right. All right, guys. I hope you guys have a great day and thanks for listening to my podcast. Bye. Hey guys i'm so excited to announce that i finally got my uh crapola together and i'm starting to do my other podcast which is called no one wants to read my book this will be me reading basically one of my unpublished or self-published books so check it out and see why no one wants to read my books okay thanks bye